Good afternoon. Welcome to Embracing Change, Talking Through Trauma. And today, my guest is Misty Lynn Cawthon, and she resides in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She has a studio and has for quite a long time, at least 20 years, um, called Dragon Fried Pilates. She is also works with Balanced Body as a, um, a trainer, and she's got her feet and arms in many other pots. <laughs> and as we go through our interview today, I'll let her explain where she's going with some of those things. But welcome, Misty. Hi, Tammy. Thank you for having Hi. me. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, so today, we're going to talk about biases. And I just was, in your opinion, what is a bias? Well, so there's different types of bias, right? But generally speaking, it is a prejudice in, in favor of or completely against a, a group of people, an individual uh, based on many different factors, uh, ethnicity, ability, hair color, skin color, height, whatever, you can pick it. Um, but the thing about it, no matter what it is, it's typically an unfair characterization of that particular group or person. And it's very frequently based on a, a distortion of the facts. Mm -hmm. do you, how do you see that playing out like in the world of Pilates and yoga or the fitness industry? I'm sorry to laugh and roll my eyes, Tammy, but you know, I have a tendency to do that. Um, I know. Here's the thing. Pilates, fitness, all of that is just a, a, a snapshot, a piece of the rest of the world. Exactly. And so as the people that exist in the rest of the world have biases, they don't suddenly come into the fitness world and say, oh my goodness, whew, that's over. Everybody's equal. Uh, it's, it's just not true. Uh, there's a lot of dishonesty, I think, in this business because everyone wants to say that it is that, that you know we're able to leave these things, quote unquote, at the door. And that's just not real life. No, it's not. Um, you know, I had an experience a, a few days ago and it really took me off guard, but um, there was a Pilates teacher that was being really, I'm just going to say really badgered because of her plus size body. And it really honestly took me to a place within myself that made me really uncomfortable because um, I, I have compassion for all people, especially when it comes to body image and things like that, because I, and I don't talk about this very often, but I am going to talk about it now because I would say to you, I have had an eating, not now, but I'm recovered from it, but it was still a trigger for me, an eating disorder for probably pretty much my whole adult life. And I dealt with it, but when, but it doesn't matter what our body size is. When I heard somebody being ridiculed because of her body size, because I used to get ridiculed because of my size. Well, if you eat more, you wouldn't be cold. Or if you did, you know, all of these things. And so it still took me back to a place and I really became, um, I don't want to use the word defensive, but I really felt like I needed to just say to her, I see you, I hear you, I support you. Protective. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. I, you know, what people don't understand or 
I struggle with the idea of if they just won't understand if it's a choice or if they don't understand because they won't allow themselves to go there. Bias is in every single one of us. And it's been there since we became cells. And before we were born, the, the engrams that our parents have laid onto us through genetics, epigenetics, whatever you want to call it, are powerful. Yeah. And so when somebody says to me, I don't have a fill in the blank bone in my body. Well, your face says exactly <laughs> what I think. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, and, and, you know, we have to destigmatize this discussion. Yes. Bias, because again, it's so ingrained. It's ingrained in our language. Our language is written in a way that completely facilitates the biases that we have. And so, you know, once we get to a place where we're able to look at these things objectively, not from a place of defense, but from a place of, I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about myself and I'm going to sit with this and percolate on it a bit. Mm -hmm. That's when we start to see change. But it, it, using your, your example just now, you don't even have to have uh, any sort of disordered eating to, to treat people in a prejudiced fashion uh, or, or to, or you. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. You can even be a person who has had disordered eating and still treat people in a, a biased or prejudicial fashion based on the way they eat or the way they look because that just sits in the back of your mind. And sometimes it jumps out at times when you're not expecting it. Like it was that I was not expecting it. Yeah. It yeah. But it has to start with us individually first. We have to do, I call it the work. We have to do our own internal work around where do some of these biases come from? And we have to recognize that certain things that we do that may not seem, you know, you, you say racism and everybody knows 100% what that is. I get racism. I know what that is. But do you recognize your own, say, beauty bias? You know, do you look at somebody who is, say, you know, tall and maybe they have green eyes or whatever. And is that your ideal standard without acknowledging it? And if that's your <laughs> ideal standard, then you have to ask yourself, well, how do I look at other people that don't look like that? And then you have to think, what if somebody is so far away from that? Am I assuming that they're not beautiful? Have I put them in the boat of ugly? And then has my treatment of that person changed because they're so far away from my beauty bias? And that sounds like something simple because we are visual people. We are inundated by images all day long. Yeah. So but, it, it's insane. But, but I think that th that image in relation to like even the fitness industry, you know, or you could take it in one step further and say, okay, is it based on body size? You know, I, I, I just think about, 
it's it's so disheartening to think that we are you know in, we've we've come this far but yet we're still so far away from um harmony well how far have we come we really haven't that's the point i mean we can acknowledge maybe in some ways that there are some things in fitness that we don't appreciate or like and we can say all the words i want to be inclusive i want this to be diverse blah 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 it doesn't really matter if we are not taking action steps one as you said to look within to figure out how we contribute to the problem and two to make change change is an action it's not like nap we're sure napping is an action but there's not really anything physically happening to facilitate anything other than you going to sleep in a nap we need to physically facilitate the change that we want to see it is an active participatory event yes so in fitness you know i i i've talked to a number of people who you know say i uh, i i have all types of people in my studio and i'm like oh yeah really of course i do misty because i believe in inclusion and I just put that thought out there and people come to me. Well, I mean, it's not dreams and it's not rainbows. The fact is, I then say, well, what is your, what do your marketing communications show? And I'll look at their websites and it'll be all of the same people. And, and one, you know, check the box, one fill in the blank. It's a black person. It's a tall person. It's a person with a different ability level uh, whatever it is, and check, I'm done. That doesn't work. That's what we need to be changing. We and, and and we have to stop lying to ourselves and saying that you know it's it's utopia. It's not. <clears throat> I've gotten to know this um, girl, and she actually has a business. And her business is looking at what is called universal design. So you're designing for all barriers. And I've even taken like the principles behind that in marketing, but it, it's very interesting when you start looking at, it's so much deeper, especially from a business owner standpoint, it's so much deeper than saying that you're inclusion, but yet, what is your studio like? Mm -hmm. And let's add to that the, the scarcity piece. Yeah. You know, no one wants to fail. Everyone, you know, when you have a studio, especially when you have a brick and mortar in a business, in a building that you don't own, you have rent to pay. You have all of these overhead uh, expenditures that you've got to cover. And people will say, I want to bring in all of the people, but will people do what it takes if that changes the general alchemy of the studio? Will, if, if you decide you're okay with bringing in, say, minorities, you just pick the minority. Um, if you say that you're okay with bringing those people in, 
and then your regular people start looking at those other people sideways, are you going to continue to make the active effort to bring those people in? Are you going to educate your current client base and your teacher base to make sure that those new people that you've opened your market up to are going to come in and stay? When you talk about it from a universal design place, it's, it's a really big conversation and that's where we should be working from. But let's be honest, not everybody is ready. Oh. Not everybody should be inviting all of the people in because if you're not looking at your own biases, if you're saying, I just opened my doors and the butterflies come in and they bring fat people and they bring disabled people and it's perfect, don't because you're not ready and you're going to do harm. And I, I stand by that statement. It's, it's a new, it's a way to look beyond a lens. Um, and it wasn't until you and I had had a previous conversation around this that um, it really made me step back and take a look at my marketing. It made me look at where my, where my business was within a community and was I able to draw from other communities. And um, I really looked very hard at that. So I moved my studio and the place where I was at before, I, I was there a year. And so now I've moved it. I actually have a home studio now. And um, through that process, I really looked at a lot of different things. I have no mirrors in my studio and I did that by choice. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, it's. Yeah, I, I mean, the conversations, the conversations that we have inside are so powerful and influential. And, you know, your decision to not have mirrors is probably based on, I'm just spitballing here, but it's probably based on experiences you've had in the space as a teacher and as a practitioner where people are overly reliant on mirrors and people get into that the spins of the negative self-talk, right? But then we also have to look at it the other way. Some people feel as if they're not able to dive deep until they at least have visual confirmation. How do we do that? It's, it's about showing up for people as we need to show up for them, um, giving them new skills. And, you know, I think a Pilates space, if we were actually doing the things that we were doing or supposed to be doing by being welcome, being healers and, and all of these things, we should be okay with meeting people where they are and helping them grow from there. It doesn't matter who it is, what they look like, what they ate for breakfast that day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Teach to the whole being, not just to the body. You are not a walking meat slab. So I, I wouldn't teach to you as if you were just this automaton. I would teach to you as you are a whole human being who might come in one day super jazzed and ready to go. And the next day you might come in and you might be wrecked because of something that happened in your life. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you to leave that out. I'm not going to tell you, okay, well, I don't think you should look in this mirror today, or I, I don't think we should go over to the Cadillac today because you're just kind of out of it today. But why do we put that prejudgment on people? Prejudice is a prejudgment. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and again, it's all of these things all circle back to things that were passed on to us. Yes. Through our parents. So, so sometimes these biases are not only our biases, but they might be something that we were brought up with. Oh my goodness. There's so many places where it comes from. <laughs> I know. I just, I didn't mean to. No, I mean, I could, I could go on about that forever, right? It, yes, our parents, or maybe not, maybe it's not our parents, maybe it's our crazy uncle. And see, I just use the term crazy, which is not a great term to use. I will own that I too have been formed by the society that I live in. And so when I catch myself doing something like that, I acknowledge it, I put a pin in it to revisit, and then I go on. I may have been shaped by my eccentric uncle, and I love the word eccentric. I don't think it's a negative word at all. So if, if you think it's negative, just let me know. No, um, it's not. It's it's your church group or your synagogue or you know whatever your religious background is. It's the television, what shows you watched growing up. You know, as a black woman of color growing up in the 70s and 80s. Let's see, Black people were on cop shows all the time, uh, you know, going to jail. They were doctors, uh, the Huxtables. Um, They weren't models. They weren't people who um, created things and made scientific breakthroughs and all of these other things. The way that shapes a person never seeing themselves is, is... hugely powerful. And that's just another thing to be aware of. Our biases, our, uh, I would call them systemic biases, those that are coming from just the systems that we have placed in, in our lives are the most powerful of all. We can, we can work out those things that came from our parents with work, uh, or we could move away <laughs> or they mm-hmm. could die, whatever it is. But when you turn on the TV or listen to the radio and you're having those same things reinforced, yeah. local news is a perfect example. Um, what you get is reinforcement of those old, old biases that you thought maybe that you'd overcome. Mm-hmm. It's a work in progress and it will continue forever because what's the brain gonna do? The way the way brain works, the brain puts things into categories that are easy to manage so it can move on to the next thing. And so it's easier for the brain to lump people into categories, to lump things into categories, because then it doesn't have to work on it anymore. Yeah. You have to overpower that. Exactly. But that's where the consciousness and you and making making conscious choices about how we're going to show up in the world and making conscious choices about the language that we use and making conscious choices about how we even present ourselves on camera. Mm -hmm. Being present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not being dragged along here. You have the opportunity to make an active. Well, and I, and I think that it's, 
it's having these hard conversations that hopefully people are going to step and step back and maybe listen mm -hmm. to what people have to say. Um, I think that it's it's something that not everybody can step into the arena and say we need to do better. Sure. Sure. I think that there are people out there who like to be challenged, right? They want to have their head shaken around like a snow globe and turned upside down and then stuck back on again and see where they land. But there are other people for a thousand million reasons, I won't get into any of them, that are very, very uncomfortable with change. Oh yeah. Not even capital C change, small C change. I walk into my Pilates studio and someone's on my reformer. What am I going to do? Oh my goodness, this is the worst thing that happened since somebody took my parking spot three days ago. You know what I mean? For those people, you know, from a nervous system perspective, you know, maybe they're mm -hmm. wired yeah. up. And I, those people need a little bit more extra coaxing, perhaps, but that doesn't mean that they can't be curious or won't be curious down the road. Yeah. There are no closed doors unless you you as the individual choose to close it. But I think so often, I think so many people walk around in society numb emotionally. Disconnected. Absolutely. And when we start peeling back the layers of the onion and start feeling like you're a human and start having what I'm just going to say conversations about yourself. Because if you've not, if you've pushed down your emotions for years and years and years, and you've walked around where nothing bothers you and you are not emotional about other people or even understanding about yourself, that's where the change has to start. And I know that I'm, this is not, that maybe not everybody's going to agree with where I'm coming from this, but it's just, it's hard work to change. Yeah. It's hard work. And but maybe the initial change isn't the hard part. No. It's the consistency. It's continually showing up. Yes. That's yes. the hard part. It, you're right. And it's, and it's being... It's finding an, just a new, a new path. I mean, yes, you can show up consistently, but you still have to make change along the way. Right. So, but yeah. Yeah. And, but consistency is the key um, on so many different levels. And self-awareness. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So you... Um, we talked a little bit about how biases inform how we talk about ourselves. Can you explain a little bit more about that, please? Sure. Um, when you think about the things that you may have prejudgments toward or against, um, that's not a solely externally focused endeavor. You know, those come back to us as well. 
if somebody, you know, speaking to the earlier uh, anecdote that you gave about your, the Instagram live that you did, um, you know, somebody lashing out at a person because of their size, because of the way they look. I'm not a psychologist. I would play one on TV. So if you know anyone, hook me up. Um, but what I will say is this, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Very often, that is something that you have said to yourself over and over again, or you have heard directed at you over and over again. And like what you said about your example, you had this urgent need to reach out to this person and let you know that you were supporting them. The person who is lashing out or the people who are lashing out probably never received that support. So they internalized their personal self-loathing and, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Decided to push it forward. Yeah. The conversations we have with ourselves, I don't care how aware you are, always seep out through your pores. And so one of the ways that I tell people to overcome their biases is to start talking to themselves better yeah. in a way that they would want to be spoken to in a way that is, I mean, I'm not saying be ridiculous here, but what I am saying is you do deserve an add a, add a boy, add a girl, add a person. You deserve to be supported. But the person that's going to support you best has to be you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And you deserve it. So once you start addressing that internal piece, the way that you look at people externally naturally changes. You have started to peel away that filter mm -hmm. and you're better able to relate to the person that you are having negative offense to. If you start giving yourself permission to stop being so hard on yourself. <laughs> I, I'm chuckling because so much of what we're talking about stems from the messages that we've heard probably in our early childhood or even in our teen years. And those are messages or tapes that play over and over and over again in our head. Mm -hmm. And sure. until we start thinking about um, self-care, self-talk is self-care. For sure. Self-talk. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I tell you what, I have a very, um, a very strong auditory, auditory memory. And there are times when I hear somebody say something to someone else and I am instantly back in that place. Oh, I'm standing there. I'm smelling it. I'm breathing it in. And you know, it, it's, that is such power. And I, I have those moments, I think, because I am very tuned into who I am most of the time, I at least try to be. Um, when you have that level of awareness of what you're feeling and how you're feeling, 
it, it just changes the game. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. I totally forgot what you just said. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's okay. But it but it makes a lot of sense though because when when you think about it from that term, and I'm just gonna just say this because a lot of those memories come from the limping brain, and it subconsciously took you back to that mm-hmm. 11 year old Misty mm-hmm. or 10 year old Misty or however old you were at the time, and it's like sometimes we don't realize like where, where it even came from. Like, it just like, I like, you just don't even, you just, sometimes you don't know. For sure. And one of my, one of my hot buttons, when somebody yells at me, there is a very short (laughs) that I have before I lose my stuff because I have a very visceral reaction to being yelled at, especially when I'm being yelled at over something that I can't control. So, you know, I tell, I'll say to my family, I'll be like, she's coming out. Mean Misty Lynn's coming out and she is nasty. You better dial this down. And I can feel it. I can feel the heat coming up. Yeah. So then I'm also talking to myself saying, you are in a decent place. You're safe. Like you're really aggravated by this discussion, but you're not going to die. Calm Mm -hmm. down. You know, it's, it's telling my limbic system to just chill out for a minute. And that has to be a very active thing when we're triggered the way that's the proper use of the term trigger. It's currently overused and beaten up and almost has no value because it's so improperly used, but it really is a thing. Mm -hmm. But, but it's your, in, in essence, it's your nervous system that's communicating with you. And, and all of that. I mean, everything that we're talking about relates back to our earlier experiences, our earlier, you know, like, like you're talking about, I, like you, like, I, I choose not to participate with people when their voices begin to escalate and I'll turn around and I'll walk out of the room because I know what it does to me and I choose not to do that. Right. Exactly. I exa- that's such a big deal. It's choosing you. Mm-hmm. That's important. It's choosing yeah. to not become somebody else because that person over there can't contain themselves. Well, and I think that that's something for, as far as for myself, that's a part of my own self-care is I choose not to go there mm-hmm. because I have a lot of, um, let's just say past memories that I, I don't need, I don't need that. And so there's just ways, I mean, and that's something very subtle. And we don't even think about that necessarily as an act of self-care, but in essence, it truly is. It's recognizing something in me that does not make me feel good. Right. Right. So, Well, I mean, why wouldn't it be self-care? If you put your hand on a hot burner, <clears throat> you would say, oh, I'm, I'm recognizing that this doesn't make me feel good. Let me extricate my hand from the hot burner. Yeah. Why would you stay in a a social situation or a professional situation, whatever, that doesn't make you feel good, that makes you feel like you're on that hot burner? You wouldn't. No. 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 But uh, you know what? I'm not going to, I was going to say, but you know, you think about like the next, sometimes the negativity in people um, that are being like 
that are that daggers are being thrown at people within the Pilates community, and especially like Instagram, Facebook, whatever you want to say, or the other platforms. And it's like I can tell you that I have on more than one occasion had negative things thrown at me, and it's like I choose I choose not to take it personally. But that took a long time for me to get to that point too, Misty. And, you know, I, I, it, and not everybody's like that though. So it's, it's really, and it's, again, it goes back to how do we show up? Right, right. I'm going to teach you a um, technical term. You may not be familiar with this one in all of your work, um, but it's called keyboard balls. And keyboard what? Keyboard balls. It's not really a technical <laughs> term, but you know, it's, it's my way of saying what happens in social media in particular is that people will say the things that they would never dare say to your face or in person. Yeah. And in fact, oftentimes when you try to confront them on things that they say, they give you a flippant answer and then they block you. Yeah. It's a level of entitlement that doesn't even make sense to me. So I agree with you. I choose not to um, engage in that as well. But as a whole, to be straight, the Pilates community is not a welcoming community, period. It never has been. There are too many old dancers, old in terms of they were dancing back in the day. I'm not talking about their age. Um, there are dancers who dance is one of the most abusive fields ever next to modeling, next to acting, you know, anything where you know, it's an art um, and where there is a certain physical standard that is expected. Um, the level of abuse that comes from people, again, who were abused uh, is, is very, very high. You combine that with people who are just trying to find their way. So maybe their work isn't the best work, but they're posting it for whatever reason. And you have a powder keg right there. Now, how does that get better? Pilates has to grow up. Pilates has to have conversations. You know how um, I feel about the PMA. Um, and I give them credit for the things that they've done. But in terms of facilitating future change, it hasn't really happened yet because we're still not talking about these things. Having a, a lunch and learn or whatever they call it every four months is not going to help create substantive change. But what will is establishing guidelines and getting them out to studios and you know all of these other things. Having workshops like my, not plugging myself, my, my beyond the bullshit workshops, you know, studio owners bringing those in independently huge deal. People have to recognize that we have a higher standard because we are working with people intimately. If you're teaching a private Pilates session, somebody comes in and they're in their gear and, you know, the whole nine and they're giving their, not just their body, their whole being to you. Mm -hmm. for the love of Pete, you had better know how to handle that person. <laughs> and furthermore, you better know how to handle yourself. 
are you coming into a studio space to teach, let's just say, and you are mad as hell over something that happened earlier? What is your energy going to be like? And then you're working one-on-one with somebody. I describe this as static, right? I'm very sensitive to other people's energy and I can feel that static from a mile away and it makes my body hum, not in a good way. And then I am trying to manage my workout, my personal negative self-talk, and then this other person's static. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of work for an hour. Yeah. We ask a lot of people, we do not ask enough of ourselves as educators, as teachers, as instructors in this business, period. Yeah. I might be passionate about it just a little bit, but it's, it's a big deal. Things need to change. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to something you said just a little bit ago. So in the beginning, when I started talking about trauma, mm-hmm. I had people push back and say, there's no trauma in Pilates. And I said, and so I, and again, I said, no, there's no trauma in Pilates, but there's trauma in the bodies that come to Pilates, like the dancers, like, I mean, uh, there's just so many different things, but I had to learn to stand up and push back to people who didn't want to change, who didn't want to listen. But there is trauma in Pilates. Yeah, I know. If somebody walks into the door, well, not into the door, if someone walks through the door and they have had a negative physical experience Mm -hmm. and they walk in, they look and they see all of the equipment and that equipment relates them somehow to that negative physical experience, what happens? They have a trauma that they then have to work out, a trauma response, they have to work out and some people can very, very easily, readily, and, and succinctly do that. Yeah. But not everybody can. I'll give you an example. I had a client that came into the studio and she'd had three or four back surgeries. Oh. And each procedure damaged her body more and more. And when she went to the physical therapist, they talked about her damage. And when she went to the orthopedist, they talked about her damage. And at home, when she was trying to do her gardening, which she loved but could no longer do anymore, it reinforced that idea of damage in her body. So when she came into my Pilates studio, not being able to put her toes down on the floor because she had so much physical stuff happening. Mm -hmm. She looked at the equipment and she went white as a ghost. And I said, don't look at that stuff. Look at me. Let's just sit down and talk. And then we had a conversation and she was terrified. I didn't ask her because she was coming to me with about the foot situation. I didn't say, come on in, let me look at your feet. I didn't come in and say, you know, okay, well, lay down on this reformer because, you know, doing per- in- personal intakes is a bad idea and blah, blah, blah. Like some people say, you know what I said? Let's talk. Mm-hmm. She was informing me. And that is how I was able to give her a good lesson and get her a, a result fairly quickly. 
I really try to interact with people in a way that lets them be who they are, that acknowledges what their fears are, if they're willing to share those right away. And then rather than hanging my hat on those fears, oh, well, you're damaged, so all we're going to do is blow bubbles for the next hour. No, 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 no. My goal is to uplift. My job is to make sure that they leave that space feeling better than they did when they came in. That's how you deal with trauma. If you're pretending like there is no trauma, you're reinforcing trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, um, we live a few hundred miles away, but I can actually tell you that I've had that same lady come to me. I mean, obviously different people, but right, right here, I know you mean, but exactly, exactly. But it's, it's, but it's accepting them where they are or meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, as an individual, correct. Every human is a different puzzle mm-hmm. and we have to remember that as individuals, there is no program, set program that is. We have to take them for who they are. Yeah. And I think that that's where for myself, um, taking me for where I am right now too and accepting where I am today. Mm. I'm not going to be the same person as I was or are going to be tomorrow or where I was even a year and a half ago, because Lord knows anybody that's watched me on camera knows that I'm not the same person I was a year and a half ago. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. Who is hopefully, hopefully, exactly. we've hopefully we've given ourselves the opportunity to evolve and given ourselves the grace to manage that evolution, whether it's positive or negative or whatever we yeah own it, we accept it, and and we grow from it. Yeah. But I also think that part of that goes back to self-care. And if you're taking care of everybody else, and you're the last person on your list, um, whether you're a teacher or a parent, or maybe you're a combination of both, and you're burning the candle at both ends, you're cutting yourself short, and you can't give to others without first refueling your own um, nutritional needs, whether it's physically nutritional needs, or maybe it's just something as simple as sitting and reading a book, or, I mean, it's just new. Self-care is so critically important, especially for women, because we're caretakers. Yeah, self-care feeds you. Yes. Yes. And while those of us that tend to have somehow managed to anyway land in the service arena, where the things that we are do doing help to serve others, it's so much easier to fall into that that loop of serving others, mm-hmm. serving others, serving others. But if you don't put gas in your car, it's going to stall. Mm-hmm. I don't care how talented you are at serving others. If you're not serving yourself, if you're not refueling yourself, you're not going to make it. And that's what self-care is. 
Some people will say that it's maintenance or it's lavish or whatever it is. I have a girlfriend, if she is definitely my role model for self-care because she does something for herself every day. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have kids, which means she's got way more money, but it doesn't even have to be about that. No. The other day I was waiting for my son somewhere and I was exhausted. I climbed in the backseat of my car. I put my eye shades on and I just zoned out. Why? Rest is self-care. And to check out and not doom scroll and not answer emails, which is what I typically do in the car, you know, that is nourishment for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good and for you. It's not easy, but I did it. And I felt so much better for it. I yeah. more awake, more alert. When I got home and still had to work for another couple of hours, it didn't feel like a slog. It felt like, oh, okay, look at me. I got some pep in my step. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Yes, I, it, I think it's, but again, it goes back to, and you know, I want to just say, because, you know, for, I, I, in the last few weeks, I have actually worked I, I want to rephrase it. I've done presentations in other arenas besides Pilates in education and teachers. I'm talking teachers, social workers or Pilates teachers. I'm just saying it all falls into the same realms. And I heard things where I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have that. And like, look, you were in the line. You were waiting for your son and you took a rest. How wonderful is that for you? It didn't cost you anything except for refueling your body. So I mean, I, kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so and you know, self care is, is it's hard yeah. because we, in particular, as women, are programmed to produce and to caretake. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if you have enough time at the end of the day, you can groom yourself for others. Yeah. No, 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 it, It's so much more than that. It needs to be more than that. It has to fulfill us. I have this, uh, you mentioned the Authority Magazine article, you know, that, that I was in. Um, I've started making these bead bracelets because, you know, as I was going through something in my life, um, I needed to feel like I was producing something beautiful. And, you know, I like photography. I like taking pictures, but it's a different part of my mind. How I, I, how I arrange a, a photo versus, you know, how I string a bracelet or a necklace. Um, and, but I started doing this last year and it brings me so much pleasure to actually just be able to sit and make something pretty. Like, oh, that's pretty. I really like it. Let me take it apart later and try something else. Um, So now I have this giant bead collection and this is another issue, but taking the issue part of it aside, it is a way, um, my creativity is really important to me. It's a way that I get to be creative and fuel myself without going out and traipsing through the, the lawn and worried about ticks and being chased by wildlife, you know, whatever it is or doing something that's physically harmful to me, like mountain biking, um, I tend to fall down a lot. It's the thing that fuels me in that way. It brings beauty to me. And that fuels me. 
you know, everybody's so different in how they like creativity for me has come in different ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I would say that most recently creativity for me has been, I've written, uh, it's, I call it trauma impacts movement approach, which is something that has been in the back of my mind for a very long time. It's right now it's in its third, second or third, what I'm gonna say, edition. And I know it's gonna be more, but my point is, is that I've taken all of my ideas and put them into a place that look at so many different things, but it's, I couldn't have done that when I was stagnant or other places because your brain, when you're in a creative space, it allows you to do things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Right. Yes, for sure. That part of your brain opens up when you do things that can make you relax. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. but I'm so glad to hear about your, I would love to see some of your stuff. <laughs> so, oh, I might have to send you a couple of photos, but yeah. Yes, I, yeah. I, sure will. I mean, I, I just think that it's, um, it, again, it's just finding ways, whether you, whether you ski in the snow and that is not me <laughs> or, or you like, I see, I'm nourished by the sun and I love the sun, but I know it's not good for my skin, but I love the sun. I love the heat today. I live in Michigan today. It's actually sunny outside. Same here. In uh -huh. Yeah, I know. I know. So, but anyways, Misty, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we close? Yeah, sure. You know what? I just want to say that, you know, we talked about a lot of heavy topics and sometimes they seem insurmountable, right? You know, changing the uh, ethos of the Pilates industry as an example is, is a very, very heavy, even thought, let alone task. But we can all make change by tackling it from ourselves within first, and then spreading that change through our communities. It's the concentric circles that grow and grow and grow that allow us to really begin to reach voices far and wide. So you don't have to have a huge social media following. You don't have to be a guru or an expert on anything. What you do have to do is check in first and then make a strategy make a plan what is your action going to be and then you've got to keep at it and as your action evolves as your mindset grows things around you will start to change as well yeah yes i 100% agree so thank you so thank you so much for joining me today and I'm sure we're going to have more conversations in the future around this topic. No doubt about it. <laughs> so it's what we do. Thank yeah, you so thanks, much thanks, for having me, Tammy. Yeah, thanks for joining me.